Picture this. It's blazing hot outside and you need to head to work. You get into your car and turn on the AC to get the cold air pumping as soon as possible, but it doesn't work. Instead, blowing hot air out of your vents and directly into your face. No, your car doesn't hate you. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the air conditioning system, and there's an easy all-in-one solution that will restore your cold air in no time. There's no need to go to the shop and pay lots of money when you can save time and money recharging yourself with AC Pro Recharge Kits. AC Pro Recharge Kits make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience. And the AC Pro app offers clear, vehicle-specific instructions to help you get the job done in less than 10 minutes. So pick up an AC Pro Recharge Kit at any store selling auto products and confidently restore your car's cold air yourself today. Be a pro with AC Pro. The Dale Jr. Download is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You going to any concerts this summer, man? I am. I'm seeing a concert in June. Hardy and Kit Moore. Love Hardy. In uh, Charlotte. I was so stressed getting the tickets. I'm going to be front row. I'm, I'm in the pit. When these tickets go out, man, I am online as soon as tickets open. I don't want to miss a thing. Yeah, you, you know, you got to act quick. Yes. And when you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. It's like if you're hiring for a business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. Mm. So what's the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast, and right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. A guy once said, if you lose an hour in the morning, you'll be looking for it all day, Mike. Boy, you did a lot of looking all days for a long time, a yeah, large, large part of your life. That was my problem with me. <laughs> I was looking for hours. What do you think? Did he get up? I mean, of all things to say. What? What? That family picnic sometimes. Get <laughs> 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 you more than just potato salad. Are you kidding me, Mike? Oh, my God, that is hilarious. Hey, everybody. It's Dale Jr. back again for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. It's Tuesday, the May the 9th. The May the 9th. Yeah. It's Tuesday, the May. The May. The 9th. Yeah. And that's the voice of my co-host and one of my best friends in the whole wide world, Mike Davis. How's it going, Mike? (laughs) It's going well. What are you up to? (laughs) Something's going on. What's up? Man, I'm excited. You're just carrying over from last week now. Well, I'm excited, man. I mean, people can't see this if they're just listening to the podcast, but you've, you've let me change the door. On the on the wall behind me, the number two door that I've been putting up on my social handles uh, is up. I'm excited about that. Um, I love that three door. We're gonna keep it in the studio, but um, this I, I love. I don't know. I I think I get a. I, I'm sensing that I get a much bigger kick out of this than pretty much everybody else uh, that I've shown this to. Um, I don't know. I um I think it's just the coolest thing ever. What year is that from? 1979, 1980. Okay. Basically, I decaled it like the car that won the championship uh, in 1980, last race of the season in Ontario. But I mean, we're only talking. We, I, it's like a handful of decals. I had sure. I had those decals 
extra decals sitting around for like a couple years. So we tried, you know, I got the real car from from Talladega. We bought a bunch of decals. I went on eBay, got decals, contingency decals, gathered all this stuff to be able to decal and paint this car and refinish it, right? We did that, and we had a bunch of stuff left over. And then I thought, man, it's time to change the door out. Plus, plus, I've been teasing a little new project that I'm working on uh, that has something to do with this door. That's kind of a bigger picture uh, or, or a bigger thing coming down the, coming down the pipe, But uh, which we're working on, new project. Excited to, can't wait to tell you about it. I'd love to tell you about it now. Mike probably doesn't want me to. You can do whatever you want. For real? Yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. So, you know, here it is. I'm just going to put it out there. I cannot freaking wait to start working on this. We're getting ready to record the first episode of it this week. Bobby Marcos and me are working really, really hard. Bobby, our resident historian, right? Yeah, um, all things yeah. producer, yeah. He is the man. Yep. He's going to help, uh, help me create this piece of uh, content that I'm really excited about. So I've got a couple vacations coming up. Yep. We all are going to take a week here and a week there throughout the summer. And I want to be able to keep putting content out, especially good content. And we've done different things over the years. We've, we've sort of done a best of, all, best of series, you know, taken some past podcasts and sort of did a mashup. Yep. Um, business and motorsports we're doing. Yeah, business yep. and motorsports has been great for us this year. Yep. It's uh, been, a, been a great experience for Kelly. And, but anyways, I came up with this idea. So when my grandmother, uh, Martha, passed away, we were looking through her house, and everybody, all the all the all the daughters and the sons, aunts, uncles, um, you know, every everybody was there, just kind of like going through photo albums and all sorts of things. She had a treasure trove of of boxes and cases of stuff, right? And my aunt Kay found these two scrapbooks that um, she made forty over forty years ago, when Dad got the Austerlin ride in seventy nine. She started a scrapbook. She was eagerly dedicated to sort of, you know, following along with his season, cutting out all of the articles from local papers, and they, they were covering Dad quite a bit. He was having some great runs, won his first race at Bristol in 79. She, she did a full, thick scrapbook of 79 and the 80 season. And when I was looking at them, I was like, oh, man, there's so much stuff here that I didn't even know about. So there's some great quotes that add a lot of context to certain races. I've got all these pictures in my phone of that season, 1979, 1980. I've got them all in a folder. And there's pictures of, of Dad's car with dents and, and damage and this and that and the other. And I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't have any context to the pictures of when that happened, what happened. And so now that I'm reading all these articles, I'm like, oh, I remember that picture. I got the picture from that. I got mm. the picture. I now know, you know, what's going on in these images. Anyways, it made me think about um, sitting down and maybe kind of somewhat, n- basically narrating a night, you know, a season, the 1979 season, with a focus on Dad. We're going to talk about everything though, everything that went on in the 79 season, the split up with the Wood Brothers and David Pearson, and all of those things. But I think it'll be fun, sort of, uh, you know, stopgap between episodes of the Dale Jr. Download, and I'm. Super excited about getting to work on this and putting it down on on some tape and um, start pushing it out and seeing what people think. I think we're going to have a lot of fun with it. I'm going to learn a lot of new stuff. I've already learned something about the Daytona 500 that happened to Dad that I didn't even know. He had a great run in the 79 Daytona 500, but suspiciously sort of disappeared from the front-running pack late in the race, and 
There was a couple reasons for that that I didn't even know that aren't covered in the broadcast of the race, but show up in these articles. Man, it's just fun for me. And I think, um, you know, I think it'd be kind of interesting to uh, to listen to a podcast. I know that Mark Martin does 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 his podcast in a similar way where he's he'll an episode a year, right? So he's like, hey, this episode's about my 1976 year, and I thought, man, that's a pretty cool idea. Um, so we're gonna try it. I hope it's well received. Yeah. Um, so that's the reason for the door. By the way, let me just add one thing. Yeah. You come into my office, uh, you know, a couple times a week with something new that you've learned from the 79 season. And I'm going to just tease this by saying it is pretty compelling, right? Like yeah. the stuff that you have even learned about your dad, quotes that he has said in the paper. Like, I don't even want to give anything away, yeah. because, but it is super compelling. The fun, yeah. the fun part about it is, is I've always said, you know, man, if I could time travel, if I could go – live in any era or or any part of this you know the sports history i'd love to freaking go to the 70s and walk around in the garage and look at the cars touch them and 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 watch them go around the track and see how they interact with each other and what the whole vibe was right this really gets me close yeah it really does and so the other like you say we're going to look at this it you know you're not we're not looking at this through the lens of dale Earnhardt, the seven-time champion this is Dale Earnhardt, the rookie. This is the prequels. Flawed, mistake, you know, prone, and you know you, we're going to hear quotes from drivers directly criticizing some of the, you know, the, the the moves Dad's making on the racetrack and how how he navigated sort of gaining that respect of Akel Yarbrough and guys like that. Yeah. So pretty interesting, and I can't wait. Anyhow, um, make sure also I want to remind everybody tickets are available still. For the Cars Tour race next week, Wednesday, we're racing at North Wiltsboro. You know, if you if you didn't go last year, it was a packed house. If you didn't get to go, you saw all of the things that we did on social media. You could tell the vibe was badass. You don't want to miss that opportunity to to do this again. You never know how many more North Wiltsboros they're gonna there's gonna be. Right? We right. don't know what the future is for this racetrack. Whether we'll be back there, well, I'll whether I'll be back there racing. And so, um, th- here's here's your chance. If you missed that opportunity in August to see the Cars Tour and and what an incredible experience that was, here's your chance. There's some tickets available. Um, everything for the All Star Race on Sunday is gobbled up. I imagine. I don't I don't know that there's much left in terms of being able to get a ticket or be able to you know access seeing that event. Maybe. And I don't even know. I don't either. But Wednesday night I, shows all we. <laughs> I know the Wednesday night shows got a few tickets left. That's right. And they're going fast. O'Reilly Auto Parts, man, they are in the business of keeping your car on the road. They offer friendly and helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. You know the jingle? Oh, yeah. We're going to do the jingle at the end of this. Nice. I can't wait for it. Yeah. So listen. Listen to the end. They've got thousands (laughs) of parts and accessories in stock either in store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you find just the right battery for your car. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fixed, or a quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice, you'll find the employees at O'Reilly Auto Parts. They're knowledgeable, helpful, and best of all, they're friendly. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto, do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by 
O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com. That's O'ReillyAuto.com. O'Reilly's Auto Parts. Ow! (laughs) (laughs) You better put that in there. NASCAR history and heritage come alive at the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Celebrate my fellow inductees Donnie Allison, Jimmy Johnson, and Chad Knauss with their class of 2024 artifacts enshrined in the Hall of Honor. Don't miss the Ford Performance Showcase. It's a new inside NASCAR exhibit that showcases the Ford Mustang's next-gen car through its design and innovation. The latest edition of Glory Road explores over 75 years of racing history with its cool 33-degree banking and 19 cars on display. On Mondays and Fridays, there's guided tours that take you behind the scenes with incredible stories and access to a NASCAR Hall of Fame insider. Or you can explore the hall at your own pace with the new mobile hub. It's a digital experience. Get behind the wheel of a realistic iRacing simulator. Or you can learn how fast-paced pit stops work with the Pit Crew Challenge. From the legends who shaped the sport to the new heroes earning a spot in the record books, the NASCAR Hall of Fame delivers an unforgettable experience. Book your visit to the hall today at nascarhall.com. You know something I read? On, I'm going to talk about something that I read on, uh, on the internet. I follow a couple random accounts on Twitter, right? They're like, you know, fascinating information, right? Did you know that the, <laughs> the Hubble telescope has a, a return address, pretty much? I did not know that. Yeah. Why? I don't know. Um, I was, so I was watching, I was reading this, and basically the Voyager, sorry, the Voyager spacecraft, not the, Hub, not the Hubble telescope. Not, that's okay. not the same thing, right? The Voyager spacecraft carries a gold disc with music. It has human, uh, and, and human brain waves on it, on this disc, whatever that, however you do that, um, and directions on how to find Earth. You sure you, I mean... Is that a good idea? No. Right? No, not unless the directions actually say, you know, head for the big fireball and go directly into it and don't stop till <laughs> <Yeah>. it hurts. <laughs> yeah. Or unless I, it's a dad joke, it's like turn right at Uranus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was thinking. I was like, man, hopefully the directions point them in the opposite direction. Right. Of Earth. <laughs> right. Go that way. Don't stop till. <laughs> yeah. Go. Just yeah. go. Yeah. See <laughs> Keep that? Keep digging. See the Milky Way? Head away from it. Uh, um, yeah, uh, who sent up the Voyager? Was that an, was that a SpaceX thing? What? Yeah, she, I, I don't know. I think the Voyager's been out there for a while. I don't Has know. it? Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. We need to do some research. And whose brainwaves? That that also uh, needs. Yeah. I, I need to know whose brain. Is it Kanye's? I mean, like, who, human brainwaves. I don't know how 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 does that work? How, what a human brain brainwaves sound like? I don't know. Uh, that's the strangest thing. All right. Well, did, 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 uh, so so that's all you just saw it. That it popped up. That's popped up my timeline and i got a bit alarmed i'll be honest with you whoever whose ever idea it was to give them a damn map to find this holy smokes you're gonna wouldn't you wouldn't you hate to be that guy now sort of rethinking that decision i might have got us all in a world of hurt here the same guy that probably created the ai robots that are going to end up taking over the world and uh yeah we made like smart group of scientists in a in a room and they're like yeah who who uh who put the return address on there right the guy's like, uh, yeah, what? yeah. Y'all didn't want that. Y'all didn't need. Y'all didn't want to do that. Hey, by the way, uh, if you do make it here, don't speed through McBee. It's thirty-five miles per hour. <laughs> they will bust you. <laughs> that is true. Hey, 
funny McBee joke. It's Darlington weekend. Yeah. Good job, Mike. You are. Tied that yeah. right in there. Yeah. 75th, uh, 75 uh, greatest drivers in NASCAR history are going to be honored at Darlington on mm. Sunday. I'm going. I can't wait. Going to get to be a part of a lot of the things going on there. Going to hang out with a big old group of really good race car drivers. Yeah. 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 Have all those been handed out? I think there's three left. I think, and, and it's uh, rumored to be Jimmy Johnson, Matt Kenseth, and Joey Logano. What are they waiting on? I don't know. I think they're just kind of using uh, using the opportunity to release a few at a time to sort of drum up more and more interest to try to get people to come to Darlington. Gotcha. At, you know, throwback weekend. A lot of great paint schemes have been released for throwback weekend. Everybody's excited about it. It'll be a great race. They've probably been trying to give it to Matt Kenseth, but he's being hard to get, being his typical self. Probably so, The yeah. way he is with us trying to get him back yeah. on the download. Yep, yep. That's what I choose to believe. That's probably true. Let's get right into it. Um, oh, I got to say, uh, did you see the response from last week's interview with Bill Davis, Ward Burton? Yes. <laughs> oh, man, that made me sad. Did what? It? Sad? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I won't. Yeah, the because hell? I love Ward. Yeah, well, he's fine. He said he was smiling. Hey, he's Ward. Smiling in a pissed off way. Are you kidding? You did not get sad. You thought. I, I did. I don't, thought, like, I don't like Ward being upset. No, you said, hey, how do we get him on door bumper clear? That's what you need to do, man. Don't, Ward said, so. Door Bumper Clear reached out to Ward, and Ward said, oh, did they? Ward said bring me on. I'm okay. ready to come set the record straight. Yeah. No, I, I love – I Wait. guess I was just sad the fact that something that generated about from that. our show huh? – I think I'm, I'm serious about this. Like, get Ward on, Door Bumper Clear. Of, let co- him, of course. Let Door Bumper Clear do what they do. Yeah, they'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll rattle his cage a lot more. He'll come out of there even spitting mad, even more spitting mad. Yeah, yeah. But that look, I, I just – I don't like that Ward – was upset about something that was said on the show. Yeah. But the fact is, is that I think that there were other people that even thought that Bill yeah. Davis was a little. So Ward went on Twitter and said, I'm, I'm smiling after listening to all the lies that were told one day soon. I'll explain the truth about it all. And, you know, I, you know, I think that, so I, I tell people, and I said such, I said so much on my Twitter. I said, uh, you know, sometimes, not every time, Sometimes we get that kind of a response from people when they hear our interview with the guests, whatever it may be. Um, there's been a few guests that have come on here, and people are like, that ah, didn't believe a word he said. I mean, there were literal things that he said that I could Google and find out that they were totally incorrect and not, not true. Uh, I won't really name any names, but there's a couple that stand out. I'll name them. <laughs> uh, okay, go ahead. Mayfield. Oh, really? I thought yep. I Jimmy was- Spencer. Glanville was my leader. Oh, of wow. the pack. I didn't even Jerry, forget, I forgot about him. Boy, every he was saying things. I'm like, well, I know that's not even true. Like, you know, that's like, that's not true, Jerry. Really? What was? What did I he mean? Say I that? don't remember it, the specifics. He told us a peanut butter jelly sandwich. The intimidator made me a peanut butter yeah, well, butter jelly sandwich. Probably not happened. Probably not. Probably happened. didn't yeah. happen. I mean, there was a couple things. Yeah. Anyways, um, so hey, I, I I mean, we're sitting here at the table listening to people, and sometimes, yeah, you go. Man, I don't, I don't know if I believe that. You can't say that. You can't verbalize that because you know what you're going to do? You're going to stop that guy in his tracks, and they're going to zip up. They're going to lock down because when they, when they start to feel like that you're against them or you don't, you, you don't believe their credibility, things get awkward and uncomfortable in the interview tanks. And, and we can't have that. We can't have the interview not finish, right? And so I think, you know, while I would love to maybe call some people out or press them a little harder – on some things, it's a it's a bit of a balance, and I'm no I'm no expert at interviewing people, but I'm saying you know maybe I could be a little more 
pushback on some things when I'm like, hey, wait a minute, that, that sounded odd. But you don't want the person that you're interviewing to have a bad experience and that the interview tanks at the end or, or they, you know, they leave here wishing they hadn't done this interview. And so I also say that, um, and I don't know whether that's right or wrong, Mike, you probably have a different opinion about that, but I also say everybody comes in this door and they're, they're given the opportunity to tell their, their truth, right? Whether it's the truth, who knows, but you're letting them come in here invited to tell their story, you know? And so I'm not going to jump in the way of that and be going, oh, I don't know about that. You sure? You sure that's what you what, what happened? Let, let's go to the tape. Let's go. Let's see here. I don't know. I mean, you can't, you know, you yeah. can't really get in their way. Uh, and it's fun, I guess, to let the it's, – it's kind of fun for me to see the public debate and bat it around a little bit. You yeah. know what I mean? I, I don't disagree with anything you said. Frankly, I don't – even if we think that it might not be true, we really do not know. So there's not, 100%. A point, there's not a point for us to go, I don't believe you. Of course it'll shut down the interview, but the fact of the matter is we don't know anymore either. Uh, we're just fans like anybody listening to this. Yeah. Now, if somebody said something that was so egregiously false that it was also incriminating and, you know, something we would, ha- we would have a responsibility to go, that's not true. Like if you, you know, if somebody is literally being accused of something that is criminal or uh, just completely, completely false, then maybe we do have a responsibility, but I don't think that that's happened on our show. I don't think it's happened either. Um, Darrell Waltrip sat here and and told a bunch of stories. I bet half of them weren't exactly true. Yeah. So, also, moving on, this past weekend, Austin Dillon's, or not this past weekend, but previously, Austin Dillon's team uh, was, was, uh, was penalized at Martinsville for a splitter rod Mm. that was not built to, to spec or by the rules. Um, NASCAR, basically, um, they, they appealed it. They lost the appeal. And after the appeal, once all of that had hashed itself out and ran its course, right, NASCAR made the part public. Mm. They had been talking about this for years, especially in the last couple of months, getting more transparent, putting the pieces and that, uh, parts and pieces out there that, that teams are starting to manipulate. They used to do this years ago. We've talked about this, and it's, 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 you know, you'd go to Daytona, and as things got found during tech, NASCAR had them in the hauler or out on a table behind the hauler so that you could walk up and look at them. They quit doing that for the last several decades for whatever reason. Probably had some reasons, some good reasons. One of the things that I worry about is a team looking at the part and saying, okay, I see how they made it illegal and I see how NASCAR caught them, and now I see how I could also make it illegal, and NASCAR won't catch it. Now, I will fix. I will fix the flaw in the in in the theory, so that it can't be detected. That's the only concern, right? Everybody is always trying to make a better mousetrap, and if you show somebody something illegal, and how you caught them then there's the potential, I guess, for somebody to go, oh, I see where they made, they went wrong when trying to make this part illegal. I see where NASCAR got them. And I can probably make this part where NASCAR won't notice the problem. Anyway, that's the only real concern, I think, or the bad, the negative side to showing all of this stuff. But anyways, regardless of that, fascinating to be able to see the parts and pieces and understand how hard these teams engineer and work and think to get through the rule book right to weave through the lines in the rule book impressive 
I have to tip my cap to RCR uh, for the effort. I have said it a million times. I want my crew chief to be pushing the envelope. I want him to be aggressive. I want. I do not want my car to be legal. I want to have a clear advantage over the competition. Mm. <laughs> um, and so I got to tip my cap to their creativity. We celebrate that here. So there's no hypo- hypocrisy, right? Um, in our comments, um, and, you know, <laughs> that's what we're being thrown around this week. What hypocrisy? Yeah. <laughs> well, 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 it is fascinating to see it, to finally be able to see it and understand, see a piece that's been, you know, been, been, been changed. And bravo to NASCAR. Brad Keselowski tweeted, "Hey, I have no idea what I'm looking at." <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't either. I mean, like I saw Bob Pockrass tweeted it, yeah. and it looked like a turnbuckle of some sort. And and I saw his tweet said that it's it's built to appear like yeah. it's locked, but it's not locked. It can be adjusted. Well, there's so, a um, I don't. Uh, do you know how to pronounce this guy's name, Mike? No, I don't. Okay, so there's a there's Bozzy, I guess. Um, if you go into Brad's tweet that says, "Hey, I, I don't know what I'm looking at," there's a there's a guy Bozzy that. Um, He's he's a race he's a NASCAR mechanic and and a, and and knows quite a bit about the rule book and has all of this you know he's very good at basically detailing how the part needs to be built how it's supposed to be built how NASCAR expects it to be built and what the other team did to make it illegal so if you really want to dive deep into the weeds there um, Bozzi is uh, is very good at doing this great follow on social media to explain you know, some of the, some of the details. So we do know what we're looking at. Um, that was fascinating to finally see some illegal parts. Also, we obviously got to talk about, um, what happened at the racetrack, uh, this past weekend. Which racetrack? Kansas. Wait. Okay. Uh, Cause you also went to the Kentucky Derby. Oh, I did. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about that later. All right. Derby was awesome. Um, Kansas, man, I watched that race. Uh, obviously no Xfinity race this weekend, so uh, there was a truck race on Saturday, I believe, and <clears throat> the cup race on Sunday. Great race. Great racetrack. Kansas is awesome. High banking. I love banked racetracks. They run the wall. They run all over the place. This car put on a great show. Uh, the dirty air still, you know, it's pretty, pretty severe, but the guys seem to be smarter and smarter and getting better and better at knowing how to, you know, avoid it. And we saw some great battles, a lot of great lead changes. They said it was a record number of lead changes for a mile and a half race at 400 miles or less, which that's a small sample size, but still, um, you know, there's not many mile and a half, 400 milers in the history of NASCAR when you look at, you know, 500 mile races at a mile and a half or, or, or whatever. It's a small group of races, but still, um, it was a fantastic race. Fantastic. You had drivers making a lot of mistakes, pushing it beyond the limit. Um, my buddy Josh Berry drove up into the top 10. I was thrilled to see the speed he had uh, behind the wheel of the 48 car. He got himself into a little trouble, but still learning how to how to you know navigate these longer races and race against the competition in the Cup Series. It's quite different. But the race itself, man, incredible. And, uh, you know, Ross Chastain, let's get right to it, man. Um, we're going to talk about Ross Chastain and the punch. And we're going to talk about the last lap. You saw the final lap, Denny, Larson. Um, there's a balance of, you know, debate, I guess. There's a debate over whether it was too aggressive, whether he just flat out dumped Larson, uh, whether that was avoidable, um, or whether it was just hard racing. Um, I, it's really a mix of everything. I think 
you know, I'm not driving the car. They're out there on old tires. Larson is literally hanging on sideways. I thought that was I – t- I tweeted. I was like, man, if he wins this race, I, it might not be the most monumental marquee event win of his career, but I think in terms of just the personal – the personal satisfaction of what he accomplished in those final laps, that would rank right up toward the top for him because he was hanging on. Hit the wall a couple times, you know, in the last 10 laps. Yeah, yeah. it was so wild to watch him drive that car so out of shape. So if he's out of control, you know Denny's car is probably similar in terms of just sliding around, lack of grip, not a lot of control. Um, they do make contact going down the back straightaway. It turns Larson into the wall. Um, I'm sure Denny would have loved to have avoided that, but um, as hard as they were racing at the end, the, the opportunities to to make a pass or get a, get a, get leverage or get up alongside Larson uh, was few and far between. Um, you know, I, I I could see absolutely how Larson would be frustrated, especially how HMS would be frustrated. But if you're you're a Denny Hamlin fan, you got no problem with it, and I think a lot of people would look at it as as really hard aggressive racing for a win. And that's what we want to see. Um, you know, at least that's what I want to see. I want to see good. I want to see drama. I want to see good, real drama, right? Not manufactured drama. And so, uh, did you have a problem with it? Mm, I'll be honest. Some of, I was wanting Larson to win. I wanted Larson to win only because of how bad his car was and how hard he was hanging on to it, and mm. how impressive the laps were that he was putting together. Uh, you know, but. I don't know. I mean, I I, I kind of was wanting that. I, I, for some reason, I was kind of thinking, man, if Larson wins, how badass would that be? Because he's he's out of control, right? Denny's way faster. I think it it sucks that car a car got put in the wall. You know, that's disappointing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, did you think that Denny's the, the backlash that he got from the fans uh, that were at the is race? A bit surprising. Well, yeah, I was yeah. gonna say, did you think that was justified? No. Yeah, no, I don't think so. But they were there. We weren't, right? You know, they no, were, no, yeah. That, for being sure. being there in the being there and witnessing it live is totally different than watching it on your TV. And so maybe maybe I wouldn't have thought much of it if I was there. But sitting at home on my TV, I'm like, man, eh, you know, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm, you know, the whole, I don't think the whole grandstand should be turning on this guy for what happened. We sit, you know, we, dude, man, that was if that was going on in the '80s, place would be. You know, rocking. <laughs> um, that was that to me is was a bit throwback. That racing, the the hard racing going on there at the end, the contact, a car getting in the wall. I mean, those things happened with regularity back in my favorite era of of NASCAR. You know, I hate it for HMS because I'm a I'm you know I, I drove I drove for that team. I don't want to I want to see them have success. I want them to do well. When I'm watching a race as a fan, I'm I'm you know pulling for Josh and pulling for for Chase and 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 Larson and William. We've got drivers that we've worked with that raced for us um, in some of those cars, and so uh, you know that that part's tough to see. It would have been re- it would have been cool. I, I I guess yeah, it would have been better if Denny passes him, they don't wreck, and Larson runs second. Right, right. If he passes him clean, right? Yeah, is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, there was you know. There was some, some beating and banging, and and I mean all race long, guys pushing it beyond the limit, spinning out, crashing. It was a wild race. Everything had all the ingredients that I, that I want, um, yeah. in 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 a race. Let me ask you this though, 
Okay, I, let me tell you what I think about it, and then I, I'm curious about your response to it. I completely understand. It wasn't just the fans in the stands. I mean, listen, if we take Twitter as a litmus test, and I don't know whether you do or don't, but the fact is, is that there was some, pre- there was some pretty uh, adverse reactions to what Denny yeah. was doing. I mean, at least to what I was catching, including your sister, by the way. Oh, She even chimed in. What'd she say? She said that was a little foul, in my opinion. Yeah. So she, you know, she's like, I didn't like it. Yeah. And I think, th- I think that anybody that takes uh, – uh, had an adverse reaction to it. It's completely fair. I think it's yeah. completely fair to not like it. However, Here's, I just don't think that people that are accusing him of being a hi- hypocrite. I don't think that's Here's my accurate thing. either. Right, here's my thing. I think if I take if I take Denny and Larson out of the cars, I I don't I don't love the I don't love the car. I don't love a car getting wrecked and and of knocked out. Right? Yeah. yeah I don't love yeah, that. I don't love it. I'm torn because. I'm torn because that type of action, that drama, that that you know whether it love it or hate it, either one, it's it's what gets people tuned in. It's what gets more of that and a bit of a you know a bit of a friendly rivalry that would carry on. You know, if those two get to racing each other over the next couple of weeks and they continue to be physical you know um to a point imagine how great of a storyline that is for nascar for fans for broadcasters for networks like we need we need those type of things to happen from time to time we need that you know that that you know one-on-one sort of you know we need that i i mean i know people probably don't like how it went down and don't like Denny's move. But I'm telling you, man, if, if, uh, if we don't have some of those controversial moments from time to time, then, then we're, we're, you know, we're not growing. I don't believe, or we're not, you know, we're just, it's just this kind of thing is what sends us up a notch in mainstream, especially when it's our best drivers that uh, that are in the mix. You know? So, you know, I go back to, the 1979 Daytona 500, right? They right. had the fight down in turn three. I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here. I had a little light bulb moment the other day. I was sitting there researching the 1979 Daytona 500 for this podcast we're going to do. I was I was reading through all of this information for the first time as a series owner of the Cars Tour. And we've had some things in the Cars Tour over the last couple of weeks that have been, huh, man, we, you know, we could do a better job there. We, 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 a couple of things that could have, a couple, couple of things need to be buttoned up, right? You know, in terms of fighting or or whatever it may be, right? There, as a series owner, now I'm starting to recognize things about our race program and our our the way things are. You know the way things happen in an event. That I'm like, oh man, I really wouldn't have cared about that before, but now as I'm I'm owner of the series, I would. I want that to go differently. So I started thinking, man, I want, you know, C- CBS is broadcasting this race. They start fighting down in the corner, and CBS is probably thinking, hell yeah, put the camera on that. Woo, man, we got 15 million people watching this right now. This is amazing. I can't believe we, we never thought we'd get this type of drama, this mm-hmm. type of finish. The king is winning the race. Now we got two, you know, three guys down here duking it out. I bet Bill France Sr. was sitting there going, what a freaking embarrassment. Right. What in the hell are these idiots doing? We're Maybe. on national TV, CBS, 16, 15 million people watching. They need to quit. They need to stop this Yeah. Shit. I'm pissed. It's possible. Yes. 
Bill France was not sitting there going, oh, hell yeah. And then he thinks, oh, it's not Jody Ridley and, and Joe Rutman. Yeah. It's the Allisons right. and Kale Yarbrough. Yeah. All right, so <laughs> in that moment when you have these things that happen with Denny or with Ross on pit road, I think there is a, there is a line you cr- that, that NASCAR doesn't want crossed that dips into, hey, man, this is a little embarrassing. This mm. isn't our best look. But for the networks, they love it. And more than likely, they're going to take that baton and they're going to run with it. You're going to see that punch a lot over the next several weeks, Yeah. right? Yeah. When we go back to Kansas next year, you're going to see that punch on pit road. You're going to see that back straightaway last lap tangle. And so, you know, these moments, while we might not love everything about some of what happens, they help elevate the sport, promote the sport. It's, it's, it's ammo to really go out there and say, hey, everybody, this is what happened here last time. Y'all might want to come tune in. The other thing I think, um, which I, you know, I think that's pretty much my only point about, you know, what happened on the back straightaway. But with the, this is with the punch on pit road. I freaking hate physical confrontation. I hate it. I hate conflict. I don't like seeing people get punched in the face. But I think that regardless of that, I mean, you know, I was watching a clip on social media. Claire B. Lang posted an interview. Uh, that Justin, uh, the, uh, that owns the car, Justin uh, for, Marks, yeah, yeah, for Ross, he he's on there and he says, we kind of saw, we kind of knew this was coming. So I mean, I feel like that you know, if you're if you're Ross, if you're Justin, and your whole you know the Trackhouse group, you're over time, right? Ross has been getting beat up and criticized and nitpicked, and every every move he makes is sort of, um, you know, this divisive sort of is it okay? Is it not okay? Uh, for the last two years. And so I think Ross, Justin, and all of them are sitting there going, all right, man, keep your guard up that something's coming, something's coming. Well, here it was. Here it was on pit road. And and Ross, I think, was – I think if – you know if I think on an average day, Ross probably doesn't get physical. He probably just tells him to stop, grabs you know grabs Noah and tries to control him. But I think with everything that's been going on and building up, they are they, – they, the you know, the pressure cooker it popped. And so – while I don't love the the physical contact or or pushing and shoving, punching for sure. We don't. I don't like. I don't want punching uh, happening on pit road between drivers. I don't want that to become a normal thing. Here's the here's the one thing that's key. This is the thing. So this is NASCAR's opportunity to turn Ross Chastain from a superstar in the NASCAR bubble to a national star in the mainstream. This is it. All right, so when Dad was out there doing real similar things on the racetrack, he flat out dumped people and would get out and, you know, well, he, he, he wouldn't really apologize for it as much as Ross does, but he would get out and say, hey, man, that wasn't, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. Nothing dirty driving. I got into him by mistake. People around, so people around Dale Earnhardt, around 86, 87, up into the 90s, those people around him, they capitalized on his own track actions. They created a persona through marketing, through souvenirs that went nationwide, if not global. The intimidator, the man in black, you know where you saw those those for the first time? On a hat, on a t-shirt. Dale Earnhardt didn't walk into the racetrack and say, hey, yeah, uh, from here on out, I'm the man in black. 
oh, from here on out, I'm the intimidator. No. That was a marketing campaign. That was a T-shirt. That was a hat that took off, right? It became a persona. We are, you know, we're there. Are we, though? With Ross. We're there. Where's my dropping the hammer Ross T-shirt? Where, mm. you know, where is, give me, I don't care what it is, right? Where is, this is the chance. Look. What if he doesn't ever win a championship? And then who cares? It doesn't matter. We don't. We can't. We can't not. That's one thing. Your dad gave us was we're, a quick championship. Hey, we're at the doorway. We're at the doorway, Mike, for the next big boom in NASCAR personalities. And all we got to do is walk right through it. Mm-hmm. Are we not going to walk through it because we don't know? Maybe he ain't going to win a championship one day. So we're just not going to go there. I'm just saying, man. If I'm NASCAR, if I'm Networks, if I'm Ross's people, if I'm Trackhouse. I'm turning Ross into a megastar off of this, off of the opportunity he's being provided with all of the network attention he's getting, all of the comments, all of the criticism. Man, I'm building around that. Well, yeah, listen, this is the irony in the whole situation is that the drivers around him are doing all the building and the marketing for him. Kyle Larson said it last week. Nothing bad ever seems to happen to him when he puts himself in these precarious situations. He's talking about on the track. But the same thing happened at Kansas. He actually comes out looking like a fighter. Yeah. Well, we now know Ross can throw a punch. Yeah, yeah. I bet you there's not another driver out there that will step to him now. I don't know. I'm just saying this is a – this is a – the – the window of opportunity to really take a Ross, a per, take take Ross, and turn him into a bigger star, someone out, someone that can, it, it, someone that can go beyond the NASCAR bubble into the mainstream. This is it. The window of opportunity is here, and if his, if Trackhouse, if Justin and their, you know, their mental focus toward media toward toward uh, entertainment, toward sensationalism, and, and, and really, you know, self-promotion, they should be taking advantage of this, not shying away from it, not, not that they are. I'm just saying, you know, they, they shouldn't – they should look at this as a really cool opportunity to say, hey, we're going to own this, okay? If Ross is going to be the, 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 the villain or – not that he – I don't think he's the villain. I think he – if Ross is going to be a persona, right? Whatever that is, if you want to, you know, they, you know, Dad's marketing crew and souvenir business turned him into the Intimidator. They, they, they gave him that moniker, um, the Man in Black, all of those things. They that came from a, a concerted effort and plan in the minds of people in the souvenir business and around that uh, marketing campaign. Dad wasn't actively sitting there going, oh man, you know, we're going to, I'm going to make this persona what it became. Am I wrong? I'm the part I was struggling, Dale is, is it's, it's using your dad as the example. I think there's better examples here. I think there is a responsibility. Using your dad as an example to anything comparable to any today's drivers just feels like a reach to me because we're talking about the greatest to ever do it. So let me just give you another example. Yeah. The, when I you're right, you don't have to win a championship to be marketable. That's a fact, right? You never won a cup championship, right. but listen, what Budweiser did with you and what some of your sponsors were able to do. I mean, MTV, all that you can name it. So there's absolutely marketable. The, I guess the thing I want to say is that the reason I think there's a responsibility by Trackhouse and by the sponsors to absolutely maximize on this moment for Ross Chastain. Yeah. The thing you got to run careful on okay. is the same thing like Danica Patrick, 
was yeah. also extremely marketable. And NASCAR and everybody else like stepped through that door yeah. in a big way, including us, by the way. She yeah. ran here. But then again, you do need to back it up with performance. You do. You won two Daytona 500s. You were backing it up. And so I can say that there's comparable things and some opportunities and responsibilities Ross, that we could talk about now. Yeah. I just get I get I get a little Ross ran second last year in the championship. No, no. So and, and so I do that's my point. My point. I just a, don't I'm not ready to go say the intimidator no, level no, no. type stuff. So that's the thing. So I'm not comparing Ross to dad. I'm only using dad I'm only sharing it, I'm only telling you that 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 the persona that dad the intimidator and the man in black and all that wasn't this ground swell. Wasn't his idea. Or, you know, <laughs> it wasn't his idea, and it didn't happen. It didn't happen just organically. It was. It happened because people saw it on souvenirs. This I know the man, Hank Jones. Yeah. I remember the day he came to Dad with the intimidator or the man in black stuff to for approval, and Dad and Teresa are sitting there going, "Hmm, I don't know. What do you think, man?" This is it, you know, the self promotion thing was a bit new for dad or a little bit awkward. Obviously, you know if you're going to go out there and put yourself out there like that, you. And so, I remember when that when that material showed up, and dad and Teresa had to approve mm. the mar- the merchandise, right? It was a de- it wasn't like this easy decision, right? But it wasn't. It was Hank Jones who was running the souvenir business at the time. It came up. He's like, dude, this is going to sell. Trust me. This is going to, people are going to love this. This is what I'm saying that Ross and his camp might want to try to activate on. It's like, man, you're, you're a winner. You're in the, you're in the conversation, whether you want to be or not, you're in it. Every week they're watching you. They're criticizing. They're analyzing. They're, they're, you know, you're, you're getting talked about. You're gonna do, you know, you're gonna do things polarizing like you did on pit road. Lean into it, take advantage of it, market it, and and you'll do exactly what Justin Marks wants to do. You're gonna take Trackhouse and Ross Chastain into the stratosphere. The way your dad would did with Richard Childress, frankly, right? Yeah. Dude, that, that is a comparable thing. We're right there at the threshold. Walk, walk, walking through the door is literally effortless to, to make this happen. And so that will be interesting to me to see if – because Ross, I think, you know, is a bit apprehensive because he – I don't know that he wants all of this attention, right? He just wants to win and drive his race car, and he wants people to probably leave him alone and quit worrying about all the moves he makes and then just, you know, just let me go race. I'm racing how I want to race. That's the way I, I, I take Ross. I don't know exactly how he feels, but that's the way it comes across to me. But I think you know it's 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 now or never in terms of like, hey man, you it's it's an opportunity to take your celebrity and your notoriety up another notch, if not even several notches. And what that would do for his marketability, I I know there's a there's rumors about partnerships and sponsors coming in already for next year. For Ross, think about the opportunities that that would present to them going forward with with additional partners. Uh, it's a win all across the board if he embraces it. Yes, if he, he embraces he's got it. Got to. I mean, it, it reminds me of when you were trying to have conversations with Jimmy Johnson, where he's now doing everything on the track, but you're like, man, you are this awesome, fun personality off the track. Man, you need to show this more in yeah. interviews. And he was like, I'm not comfortable doing that. I don't want to do it. D- he made the conscious decision. He did not want to go open those things up to yeah. a complete marketing opportunity the way that he could have done. 
his decision. Chase Elliott has all the talent in the world. He makes the conscious decision. He lets his sponsors do things here and other, but yeah. it's clearly he's not embracing that to where it's maximizing and growing the sport. So you're bringing up a very good point, and that is to what point did the drivers have to go, I know it's not comfortable, but it's what's best for our sport to embrace these opportunities as they are now creating, being created. Yeah. Um, and and th- there's the thing. Ross has got the same decision to make. If he wants to say, I'm not comfortable, I'm not going to do that, well, th- that's his prerogative, but yep. it also is not going to really grow the sport either. We need stars. Yeah, I mean, we've you know, Denny was on social media the other day saying the biggest challenge for our sport right now is personality stars that extend beyond the NASCAR bubble. Everybody, you know, we what we need to grow and become bigger is to bust out of this NASCAR bubble and a tr- and get in front of new fans that don't know who we are, right? And this is this is an uh, opportunity I think for that to that for Ross to sort of ha- make that happen. Yeah. You know, everybody Chase Every Chase, Blaney, all kinds of drivers are af- absolutely connecting to new fans. Not that no one else is doing that, but this is Ross's. This is Ross's window of opportunity, right? To to sort of, you know, become more of a star in the sport, and um, you know, and so when he does win that championship, you know, it the the sky's the limit on on who this guy can become. All right, right? let me ask you real quick. What about Noah? But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, Noah. You know, I think Noah is. Uh, I was talking to Clint Boyer about that this morning. We were we were on the phone. Um, Clint's got a cool little bike ride that he's planning for um, for for All Star Weekend. He's trying to sell tickets. If you want to, you know, want to know more about that, I'm sure he's got some stuff up on his social media handles. Um, so we were talking about that, and um, he uh, he's like, man, you know, Noah just. Noah's just coming up there. He's like, everybody in the garage has been wanting to do what Noah did, go up there and confront Ross, right? But nobody has done it. They all, you know, talk about it in interviews and so forth. But Noah's like, you know what? I'm going to be the one that actually goes up to him and says something. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think Noah's been in a few physical altercations. And I think Noah made the mistake of grabbing him by the shirt. The grab you by the shirt guy always gets punched. Um, you if you're going to be physical, now I'm no I'm no expert, <laughs> but if you're going to be physical, I think you got to swing, right? If you're gonna, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you get grabbed by you grab by the shirt, you're sort of opening up yourself, right? To you're saying to the guy, you're really letting that you know you gave you give you give Ross the opportunity to swing on you, mm-hmm. and I don't know that you want to give. I don't know that you want to give him that opportunity. You want to take, you know, take things in your own hands and act first, right? Yeah. I don't know. Um, the thing I thought was interesting in all this was the drivers next to them, like Joey Logano oh, yeah, sitting yeah. there sipping his coke like he just yeah. got back from the concession stand, yeah. and Chase Elliott's in there just kind of stirring it up a little bit, dropping yeah. his comments and leaving. And I'm just like, this is a, this is this is there a, was a, a reflection yeah. of of the bigger picture here, and that is. You got the rookie that's going to go in there and say, I got the balls. Yeah. Ain't nobody else got the balls. I got the balls. I know that Noah is absolutely frustrated that he wasn't allowed to re- to, to counter. Um, his punch, he had one coming, got blocked, and he wasn't able to uh, – you know, I can imagine that if you're Noah, you're sitting there going, well, dang, if I could have just – you know, boy, if I could have just got that Throw one once. in there. 
Um, so that's probably where he's at. He's had he was having a reasonably good day at points, running well in a top twenty. Noah was, um, and it's been a difficult year for him trying to figure out how to how to get the next gen car moving forward. But uh, seemed to be having a pretty good day. Got frustrated with Ross, and um, I just think that he probably is rethinking what he might have done differently in that situation so that he didn't get punched in the head. Don't you think? Don't you think he's thinking, hmm, what should I have done not to have been the one to get punched? Yeah, probably I'm thinking that, especially because he, he got punched. He I got, mean, he got pre- punched, yeah, and punched I know he's good. mad. I know, listen, uh, we're, we're all upset, you know, at the time of the security guard. The security guard doing his job. They, they, they are absolutely doing their job. He did it well. break it up. Yeah, he, I mean, he, he did but, it pretty well. But, but he also, you know, muzzled the punch, the retaliatory punch, yeah. which, I you know, I think Noah's wish he probably drew that up a little differently. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Jeffrey, I've, more on the punch, Jeffrey Earnhardt <clears throat> on social media. So, uh he responds, nah, that was a short jab. Um, if you're going to hit somebody, bring it from the back 40 like Noah was about to do. <laughs> All right. He Probably says, I vote. what I would expect from an MMA fighter. Yeah. Jeffrey knows fighting. He says, I vote we go by hockey fight rules. Don't break it up until they are gassed out or on the ground. Again, I would love that too. Yeah. But it, listen, I, you know, I, I would love that too. But at the same time, um, Hard to get mad at the security guard for doing his job yeah. on that. I mean, to be honest with you, um, I, I liked what we saw, frankly. I, I just thought it was entertaining. I mean, look, can I just say this? I didn't even finish. I didn't get to make a, a point I wanted to make. Mm-hmm. The, the point I wanted to make about Denny kind of ties to this, and that is this people calling him a hypocrite. Yeah. And I don't think he was being a hypocrite. I think he'd have been a hypocrite if he had wrecked Kyle Larson like that on lap one, not on the last lap. But, like, I think that we're all kind of hypocrites when it comes down to it. If we want to just get right down to the nitty-gritty here, and, and that fight is one of them. I like a good fight. I like it, but I also tweeted, I wish they'd let them go. Um, and uh, at the same time, I know that if, if it, it, it matters who's in the fight for me to know on if I wanted to go or not. I wanted Ross and Noah to go, <laughs> like yep. hockey style. Yep. But if it's you know my daughter in a soccer game, I, I'm, I completely treat it differently, right? Yeah. So th- you know what that makes me? A hypocrite. And you know what? All the people that are calling Denny a hypocrite, if the when the roles are reversed next week and Kyle Larson is the one that does that, and I think we all know that Kyle Larson does put people in precarious positions. I mean, that you know, he does put them into, into, into bad decision, decisions, which means puts them in a wall. That's fine. I just don't think that you can call Denny a hypocrite and and not be uh you know and not be consistent when it happens. You know, the other way around. That's just my feeling on that. But I think we're all hypocrites when it comes down to it because all of us are biased based off of who we like, right, where yep. we're from, uh, what drivers we root for. And Denny has a lot of people that would have liked, uh, liked him not to won that race probably. I think it was a uh, fascinating, fascinating day at the racetrack. It was. What um, a fun race. The Dale Jr. Download is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You going to any concerts this summer, man? I am. I'm seeing a concert in June. Hardy. And Kit Moore. Love Hardy. In uh, Charlotte. I was so stressed getting the tickets. I'm going to be front row. I'm, I'm in the pit. When these tickets go out, man, I am online as soon as tickets open. I don't want to miss a thing. Yeah, you, you know, you got to act quick. Yes. And when you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. It's like if you're hiring for a business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. Mm. So what's the best way to do that? Zip Recruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast, and right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. 
ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, Dirty Mo listeners, this is Dylan Hart Jr. It's May, and you know what that means. The Indianapolis 500 is just around the corner. Thankfully, we have Speed Street with IndyCar racer Connor Daly and comedian Joey Molinero. They're going to get us ready to go. Follow Speed Street so you never miss an episode and get ready for the greatest spectacle in racing, the Indianapolis 500. we got to talk about the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, the Kentucky Derby was a lot of fun. I ended up getting to go to my third Kentucky Derby and... Working for NBC. Oh, boy. Um, so I'm just going to shoot straight here, pal. All righty? When, when I know that I'm going to go to the Derby, I get excited. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to ra- I'm gonna work the Derby live television. I don't know nothing about horse racing. So I study. I cram. I learn everything I can. I'm not expected to, to like go in there and be an expert. I get that. So I have to lean into the curiosity i have to think about man what what do i want to learn all right nbc i really want to learn this and if they allow me that's what we do so this particular time they said rut's not going to go with you so i got really nervous and scared see rut is the one that says you know rut's the one that takes the toss from the from the from the talent before you know they'll toss it to us and rut goes yeah we're over here doing this man dale this is blah 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 and i just got to react to to Rudd, it's really simple, and it's nice because he's doing all the legwork, but he's not going to be there this time. So I'm thinking, shoot, now I've got to be by myself, and I've got to, I've got to accept the toss and and react, and then talk about the content I'm going to share, and then toss it to the next person or send it wherever we're going. And uh, I don't have a lot of experience doing that. I don't think, you know. And, I don't think you do. Right. And so I was really, really nervous. It's a massive event, one of the most important events for NBC, and um, they have such such amazing talent working this show, people that know this stuff inside and out. And here I am at the very, very bottom of the totem pole just taking up <laughs> some space. Man, <laughs> I was so scared. And so when we get about a week out, my vibe goes from being – excited about this opportunity and how incredible this is going to be to that little kid that's walking up to the to the roller coaster and he's been standing in line for for two hours and he's like nope nope not going nope nope i'm turning around which where's the exit and i'm literally like the night before we went to dinner uh we went to we went friday we rehearsed walked around saw all the spots that i was going to be working at i'm taking a buttload of notes i got a pad of paper with stuff jotted all over it and uh, and we go to dinner, and I'm just sitting there with Amy and uh, Amy and Tony Mayoff, and I'm like, y'all, I'm just, I just don't I don't want to do this. I'm just I don't I don't want to do this. I don't know this. I don't know. You know, I was so scared and every, wanted out every time, every time, every time. So, and I went and talked to my sister, uh, who's doing some speaking engagements, and Kelly's like, dude, that's exactly the way I am. Somebody says, hey, you want to come speak at this function? 
yeah, that sounds awesome. And then the, the, when the when it becomes like the week of or a couple of days before, I'm kicking myself for doing this because I'm terrified to go do it. And now I'm thinking, why did I agree to do that? I don't, you know. And she goes, you know, you go, you do it, you have a great time, you it's it works, everything's fine. But man, those two or two days, three days before, you're just kicking yourself for being in this situation. How did I get here? What did I do to say? How did I put my? And so, um. You know, we get up and we go to the, you know, we go to the Derby and I'm prepared. Now I've worked hard. I've rewritten my notes multiple times to streamline my ideas and everything I'm going to talk about. And, um, but I haven't done live TV since November. We go to, well, we go to our first hit and I'm going to talk to um, the, the official starter at the starting gate. This was a great experience because... I got to stand right next to the starting gate on the racetrack while they loaded the horses in and turned them loose. Amazing. It yeah. was wild. I, I can only so imagine. So much fun. The official starter was um, Scott Jordan. Really, really nice guy. I probably spent more time with Scott than I did anybody else that was working uh, the derby over the, over the two days. I spent time with him and his crew. They were all... Very, very nice. We hung around their families. We we spent a bunch of time with them talking about, you know, our hit and what we're going to do and what we're going to discuss. And I think me and Scott both were extremely nervous when the hit went live. And it was supposed to be a minute and 15 seconds, and I'm in control of that. Like, I've got to do enough – got to ask enough questions to fill a minute and 15 seconds. And I got I, – I did about 30 seconds of work and tossed it to wherever, right? And when we got, so I asked a couple questions, he answered them and we were done. And it was only 30 seconds instead of, you know, 90. It was clunky and I didn't think it went well. I just, fe- I didn't feel like I did my job right. I, you know, in your interviewing somebody, I did a couple mistakes. One mistake was I didn't have follow-up questions ready. If it, if he had, if he gave me short answers, I didn't have backup questions ready and available. Mm. I put the answer to his question or I put the answer to my question in the question. In the question, right. <laughs> yeah, so he... It's an easy mistake to right? do, but yeah. It is. It's one of the worst mistakes you can make in, in interviewing. And so I answered the question for him, so I, gave, I took his thoughts and comments away from him, so he, he couldn't elaborate. And so um, it was a little clunky, and you probably may not have noticed watching the broadcast, but I'm, you know, you thought, okay, great. You know, that was nice. I mean, informative. We're moving on, but I'm walking away from that going, dang it. What the hell you can do better than that. But you're talking about that one hit, right? <laughs> you're not talking about the overall. That was the first hit. The first hit. So you were, when you're talking about uh, critiquing yourself, you're talking about that one hit because I, I didn't even see that one. Okay. So this was all in the morning yeah. portion yeah. around one thirty. We go and did another hit talking to, a valet in the in in the uh, next to the training room that went well. Good guy, Josh. We talked the day before. We rehearsed our hit and uh, learned a lot about the goggles and and the weights and the lead. I mean, this is the stuff I wanted to know. We're watching a, t- a horse race. You tune in. They get in the gate, bang, ring the bell, open it up. They take off running. Somebody wins. We celebrate. But you don't know, like, hey man, okay, the jockeys all don't weigh exactly the same. How do they balance that out? What? How, how does that? How does that? Oh, yeah. How do they make that fair? Okay, they got these little one pound weights that go in the saddle. 
They got saddle pads that are weighed one pound heavier than the other or five pounds heavier than the other. Whatever the jockey needs, they get on this scale with all of this equipment in their hands and they have to all weigh the same. That's what the valet does. And so all of those things were incredibly cool uh, to learn about. And the you don't see it because they don't zoom in close enough, but they have about six or seven pairs of goggles stacked on top of each other <laughs> on their helmets, on their eyes. And as they get filled with dirt, they just pull them down and they dangle around their necks. And as they're riding around during the race, they keep mm. pulling more and more goggles down. Just like a tear-off. Yeah, like a tear-off. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, that's cool. Let's show that. That was a great hit. Uh, the, you know, the, we, we go to the infield. And I probably talked about this last year. So we go to the infield. There's 80,000 people in there. They've been in there all day. Our hit in the infield was about 2.30 or 3.30. And it's eight. It's literally 30 seconds. It's like, bam, bam, we're in the infield. This is what's going on today. We're excited to go. But you're standing there for about 15 minutes, and everybody in the infield's drinking, having a great time. They're, they're with their buddies, and they're being, you know, being obnoxious and, and just doing what you would do, right? But I'm standing there completely sober, thinking about what I'm trying to say, but I'm also worried about somebody running into the shot and doing something ridiculous on purpose, right? When they see a camera, there's no telling what people might do. And we're in a crowd of, you know, in our in the general vicinity of us is a thousand people drinking. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, please don't let anybody do anything bad, do anything you know, gonna, I don't want to go viral. This this is not a good time to to do anything silly, everybody. Um, I'm thinking that in my mind. Um, but that hit was good. Nothing happened. We, we, you know, I'm basically that's the introduction hit, the opening opening of the actual show. Um, hey, I'm in the infield and eighty thousand people here. We're gonna have fun. I'm gonna do a lot of cool stuff. Take it away. Um, and then uh, the rest of the hits I thought went really good throughout the day. Um, there was one that was pretty rough. The last one where I interview the assistant trainer. Saw him. You're, saw that one. Yeah. I didn't understand what he said. All right. Well, look, this is all, this is what happened that you don't know. Um, we went there the day before, and this is Barn 42. This is the, the uh, famous barn. More Kentucky Derby winners have came out of that barn um, or have been in that barn for, for the weekend. Uh, more Kentucky Derby winners have come out of there since 1973 when Secretariat won. Secretariat was in stall 21 of that barn. So they're going to put a camera on that stall. I'm down at the other end where Mage is, all mm-hmm. right? The horse that would win the Derby. I'm down at the other end. So uh, I'm going to start the hit by saying, hey, you're looking at stall 21. We're at barn 42. That stall is the one that occupied Secretariat. Uh, tell, I'm going to give you the stat about how there's more winners out of this barn. And then I'm going to say there's one entrant only housed in this barn this week. The only one horse in here that's going to run the Derby is Mage. There's no other Kentucky Derby entries at the barn today. And I don't even know how I said that or if it even sounded worth the <laughs> Well, as I'm talking, I'm supposed to start walking over toward uh, Gustavo Delgado Jr., who is the assistant trainer. And he's the son of the head trainer. I met him the day before, but he's wearing different clothes. On this day, he's standing about 30 feet away from me, and I've got to walk to him. But he's backlit, and I can't see his face. And so I didn't know it was him standing there. <laughs> I thought, man, I'm thinking in my mind, well, if the head train or the assistant trainer's probably busy, he's probably with the horse. I'm going to walk over there, and he'll pop up, come out of the stall, 
He'll be, oh, hey, Dale, good to see you. So I'm walking over there talking about how we're going to interview Delgado Jr. And I'm walking up right to him. And I stop, and I'm looking around. I'm like, well, he's here somewhere. (laughs) He's standing right next to me, two feet away. (laughs) But the sun's on his back, you know, so I can't see his face. And I thought, shh, and in my mind, I'm like, that's him. (laughs) And so I go, oh, Gustavo, come on over here. Hey, buddy. Hey, so, and then I start doing my bit. I'm like, hey, man, you know, in in NASCAR and racing, we have pit crews. I want you to tell me who is responsible for this horse. Who are the, what are the roles? And he started doing that. We had rehearsed it and told him what we were looking for. And he starts saying, yeah, we got the groom, the hot walker, the exercise rider. I'm the assistant trainer. And uh, so it's like we were trying to basically say, hey, every horse has these individual people that are responsible for it and work as a team to, to get this horse through the weekend. And we got to do this in a minute and 15 seconds. So we couldn't get too descriptive, right, about the detailed information that you would like to share about each job and what that job is all about. But it was uh, clunky, and um, I tossed it to Mike. I don't even know what I said. Like, oh, man, you know, a lot of people are you know responsible for these horses to get them here. It's, oh, I remember what I said. So I was standing there talking to, talking to um, Gustavo and – I was so, it was so quiet. We're an hour away from the race. That's what you said. And I was like, but dude, it is freaking, you could hear a pin drop back here. There is no quiet, no silence. And you know what? We were standing there the day before talking about doing this hit. I'm with my producer, the camera guys. We're talking about where we're going to stand, what we're going to do. And some and Sledy comes up and says, hey, I work for Gustavo, and we would prefer that if y'all were going to have the conversations to, to leave the barn because we'd rather not have this kind of conver- no, noise around the horse. Uh. And I was like, Shit. yeah, I didn't even think about that. So we left the barn and finished our conversation. So when I went over there and did this interview, right at the end, I was like, Man, it's freaking quiet, and that's how I do. I was like, man, it's super quiet here. You wouldn't. Uh, that was that was profound to me. How si- I thought it'd be hustle and bustle, and people yeah. people getting ready, and ooh, the anxieties and the nerves and all that stuff, tension building. Nothing of that. It was so peaceful. Yeah, that worked, by the way, because I, I do remember you saying that. And the shots, whether I don't remember what it was before, and I don't remember what it was after. Yeah. I just remember there was this counter to what you you were getting, what the yeah. cameras were giving us. And it was hustle and bustle. And so I did think that that actually was a pretty astute observation right. by you. Yeah, that kind I, I of, think it worked. I know. It's such a small, tiny thing. But it sort of it sort of salvaged a really clunky, rough I can only imagine the panic. 90 seconds. Oh, my God. God. Nobody knew that I was thinking that. And I don't know what it looked like on TV. But now that you know that, go back and watch it. And you're like, oh, crap. Yeah, oh, yeah for real. Okay. And the, then, wait. The funniest thing. We go down, and it's time to do my pick. That's what I, I wanted to ask. I'm about. standing down there at the at Victory Lane, right next to Victory Lane, right on the inside of the racetrack. This is the easiest part of the day, right? And I've got it in my mind. I'm going to say, I've Mage. I didn't know Mage was number eight for one. I only picked Mage because that was the horse that I was closest to. <laughs> I had seen Mage two days, and I thought I ain't met any other Kentucky Derby runners. I'm gonna pull from Mage. 
I, I'm standing there and I'm like, um, this is easy. I know exactly what I'm going to say. I'm going to say I'm hoping for a little magic with Mage. And then I need to toss it to Edzo. And Edzo's going to give his pick. And I'm going to say everybody loves a surprise winner, right, Edzo? Because Edzo's going to pick a 15 to 1, I think. So he's picking a surprise, you know, would be a, probably a surprise winner too. There were two or three favorites that everybody thought had the race or would win the race. And, and uh, Edzo was picking a horse with relatively similar odds to me. So I was going to toss it to him that way. So we get up there, and basically, I'm listening to the show in my ear, and I've talked. I've got you know uh, the producer also talking, and on the talent starts at the top, Mike Tarico and them, and they're going to give their picks, and it's bam, 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 talent to talent to talent to talent, giving pick after pick after pick after pick, and I'm going after Dylan and Sonia, right, and uh, and so I, you know, I was I was listening to hear. Somebody say, all right, Dylan and Sonia, give us your picks, and they're going to start talking. Yeah, these are my picks. All right, Dale, what what do you say? But people weren't saying each other's names. Hmm. And I'm like, okay, I, I've got to try to recognize their voice Oof. to know that it's my turn next. And I, could, I was having trouble sort of doing that. It's loud where I was. The fans are starting to get excited because they're seeing horses moving around. And I'm looking at my producer and I'm going, am I next? Am I next? Am I next? And she's looking at me going like, what? What are you, what are you saying? And I mean, I, I didn't know if I was supposed to start talking because I couldn't tell whether I was next or not. But right, I just, they luckily tossed it to me. They said, uh, Dylan and Sonia were like, yeah, Dale. Da, da, da. And I thought, oh, thank God. And then I started reading my line. I was like, I'm hoping for a little magic with Mage. Everybody loves a surprise winner, Edzo. And I wanted to emphasize Edzo. And if you go back and listen to this, I wanted to emphasize uh, Edzo, right? But I emphasize winner. Everybody loves to surprise winner, Edzo. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even catch that. I know it. Nobody catches this So I'm sitting there. I got done. I got done with my line. And I'm done. That's it. I'm free. Day's over for me, man. Yeah. Now I just get to watch the race. And I said, Tony and Amy are standing there. And I said, hey, Tony, how was that? And he goes, great. Yeah, fine. I'm like, man, I don't know. I, I emphasize winner. Uh, for some reason, I emphasize yeah. the wrong word yeah. in the in – Everybody the... loves a winner, <laughs> Enzo. <laughs> yeah, I know. And so I'm – but I watched it back, and it wasn't as bad as it no. felt. The funny yeah. thing is, man, everything in TV is it's never as good as it feels and it's never as bad as it feels. But uh, those are some of the things that was my that's what's going on in my mind that whole day are all of those little quirky mistakes and missteps. And, you know, I did think some hits were really good and I was happy with them. But then there were those stumbles and things that people probably don't even recognize most of the time. I got to tell you my vantage point of that. Yeah, I'm at a party. Yep. I'm at a neighborhood party. And we've got the, the derby on, but we're just – anytime you come up, people – somebody's going to say, there he is, there's Dale, look at Dale, whatever. If, but, like, other than that, you know, we're not, we're not really tuned in. But yep. here's this graphic NBC puts up, and it's all 147 commentators that they have at the Kentucky <laughs> Derby, and, it's, and they've got them listed, and you're at the butt-necked bottom. Yep. It's like, you know, everybody, all these horse experts, and Dale Jr. And they're all making their pick, and then it's putting in the graphic – the, the the horse and they're all picking basically the same three horses you know Tatris was it tap 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 it tap, tap it, it thrice tri- yeah tap it thrice I don't know <laughs> tap it and, and then that other one but then it's like we're so we're like they go 
my buddies go, is Dale Jr. know any of these horses? I'm like, probably not. Oh, my god! And then gosh, they're like, probably right. not. I'm probably whoever he's interviewed last. There you go. And so, but then they go, all right, Dale Jr., and it's at the bottom. And I'm like, I'm curious on who he picks. And you're like, we're going to go mage, the magic of mage, or whatever it is yeah. you said. And then they all looked at me, and they go, does he have something on this that they don't? Like, does he know something? And I'm like, not a chance. <laughs> and he has nothing on it. All that to say, what you gave us was someone to follow now. Like, yeah. before, before we're just going to watch the race, now – Mage is our guy. Now I know what color the yeah. uh, the the jockey's jersey is on Mage. And dang, when that thing comes around and when takes it, the lead, goes the outside, we ran by lost all of them. our. Oh my God, we went crazy because of that. It was so fun. It was I was I was so happy that horse won. I had two people. I had a person stop me in the um, driveway at Junior Motorsports and say, "Hey, man, I, my two boys betted on bet on that horse. I had one bet a, <laughs> one bet ten bucks and one bet twenty and." So, right. I mean, to all the people out there that put a, put a wager on Mage. Yeah. And if you had your kids bet, uh, questionable well, parenting, older. <laughs> parenting decisions. Older. No, no. This man's got older sons. <laughs> oh, okay, got it. Now, to answer everybody's question, I get this asked a lot. No, I did not bet on Mage. I did not physically put a wager on the horse. I would have. But, damn, I mean, you know, we were working so much and running around. I went from uh, – we started the day – in the infield, we went to the jockey room on the front straightaway. We went over to turn uh, one for a hit there. We went back to the barns off a turn off the back straightaway, back to the jockey room, back down to the infield for the pick. I mean, I was walking. I did 20,000 steps easy in both days. And so uh, I never had a chance to go to a gate or do any betting. That's the one thing that I regret is that I didn't actually put money on Mage. I probably could have told Amy to. She was, she was I'm in, sure she did. Nope. She didn't put any money in no. or anything? No. Okay. She did before. She did, but she was with me a lot of the day or oh. some of the day. She well. actually followed us around and got to do, you know, got to see some of the places we went, which was really cool to have have her do that. But um I regret, yeah, I regret not putting some money down on Mage, but to anyone who did, just because I picked them, man, heck yeah. yeah that makes me feel that. better than me, me actually winning. There you go. Um, I got a text from Mike. You making that pick is the funniest thing I've seen all day. It you was. have, you have, you had to have, you had to have seen the graphic to truly appreciate it. All the NBC commentators, commentators listed down the right. Many of them had the same one. There he was, right at the bottom, the very last one, the only one to pick Mage. My friend asked me, "Does he know something? The rest ain't." I said, "Not a chance." Yep. Then Mage wins. That was the text that, I got from Mike. I was excited. That was probably the I, longest text I've gotten from Mike in the history of our friendship. I'm a, I'm a good texter. Yeah. No. I am. We get done with the derby, and, and we, we we went home. I'm I'm already getting nervous about the next one. Hopefully, I get to go, though. <laughs> write that down. Yeah. Yeah, write that down. What? We're going to need that, we're gonna need I know, that right? next year about yeah. this time. <laughs> I'm nervous already. Yeah. But I'm, gl- I hope look, I get, I'm glad I hope you I put yourself. Listen, I'm glad you put yourself in those situations. Yeah. If you want to not be a hypocrite <laughs> like Denny, then you need to be able to say, "Hey, Ross Chastain, you know, put yourself, market yourself, brand yourself, get it yourself out there." Well, it's what you're doing yeah. with the Kentucky Derby and the Indy 500. You got the Indy 500 coming up, yep. by the way. That's right. So don't let us down. All right. Don't go. I picked the winner, and then uh, toss it over to Mike Tarico. <laughs> Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. 
And what makes a home is more than just the house or the property, it's the location and neighborhood, Dalton. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when we say in-depth, we're talking deep in-depth. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, a home, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. We're live. Hey, we're live. All right. So uh, it's time for some Ask Junior. We've had a fun conversation today, and we've been all over the board. Uh, we got a little serious at one point. Not combative, not at all. But, uh, yeah, last it's, it's a little like last week's show, but a little little different. Anyways, <laughs> I am, I've said enough. Why don't we start with some questions you guys have sent in. They've been great all, all year long. And um, go ahead, Andrew. I think every show is kind of like last week's show, but a little different. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Uh, this first question is coming from Izzy. George Russell, uh, the F1 driver, talked about how he was distracted with all the added obligations before the Miami race. And obviously, NASCAR drivers oh. have a lot of obligations yeah, before a race. Was it hard ever focusing on the task at hand when you were racing? Oh, I, that's a great question, man. I mean, and that's a tough one to answer because a lot of times those obligations are meeting fans right um and so you 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 got a responsibility to um to the sport to your partners to yourself to go be doing these things and usually they're fun usually you know you get doing q and a's and stuff can be pretty fun and break the tension and break the nervous energy of the morning going to the driver's meeting actually was probably the most annoying thing because the driver's meeting had changed so in the 80s and 90s when I was a boy going to the driver's meeting and uh, I would get lucky enough to go sometimes with dad, not every time, it was literally NASCAR officials, drivers, and crew chiefs. No one else in the room. I mean, it was like a closed off, you know, private meeting. There might be a li- one or two media in there, but really it was it was intended to be a private meeting so that the drivers could voice any concerns and NASCAR didn't want those concerns to leave the room, so drivers could be honest and open. But uh, you know, over the years, you, you know, you started getting the CEOs of businesses and companies, and and all kinds of invited guests, and and more and more people. And then you know, when you'd go to like the Charlotte drivers meeting at, at, for the six hundred, man, it'd be five hundred people in there. You know, and so now we're not saying anything. I ain't raising my hand. Uh, and asking a question, even if I, I'll just go up afterwards and say, hey, man, what, you know, I had a question about this. Um, but I'm, you know, now, and then they, they stopped, it stopped uh, being an, uh, you know, a verbal communi- you know, conversation where the, uh, the official would stand up there and read from a sheet of paper about the rules. It became a video where we watch this video on TV. And then the video became pretty similar every week. And, yeah, so you'd be like, man, why are we even in here? This is, uh, I know all this, I know all the stuff we're doing. Um, this is more about um, a show. It became more about a, a, 
a show and sensationalized for the people that got invited to come in there. Hey, man, you're going to get to go to the driver's meeting and see the drivers have their meeting. Um, and so that was felt pointless and a lot of effort to get in there. Um, super crowded, trying to get through the door and get out of there, you know, to, to, to do that. Um, so that was probably the one thing that was more frustrating or not, you know, not didn't feel as quite as necessary as some of the other stuff you do in the morning. This next question coming from Luke. I was listening to Speed Street last week, and uh, Jaime... Tim's, you're going to have to help me with this pronunciation. Alaswari. Alaswari. Oh. Uh, former Formula One driver turned music producer. It, it got me thinking, what would you have wanted to do if you weren't racing? Oh, yeah. Music would have probably been in the conversation. Huh. I was... Um, I think... Um, creating a music label and being one of the scouts, uh. you know, going out, listening to live bands, you know, because you're the, I love to find music. I love to find songs that I like. The discovery, the search, um, is, is really good, enjoyable for me. And then you, you know, you get to, to meet a band that plays a song you like and you're like, Hey man, you guys or girls or whatever, Y'all have talent. Y'all have, this is a great song. This is a, you know, this could be a popular song. What is the, cha- you know, what are the challenges to get that, um, you know, get that to be recognized and notice, noticed, right? Um, that would be a pretty tough challenge because, you know, there's so much good music out there and you, we all have bands we love that are, that are, you know, that have a small following, you know, or you're like, man, this song is so good. Why does this not get a, bigger audience, right? How come this song isn't hitting nationally or globally? Um, we all probably had those songs in our, in our library that were like, man, you know, that's one of my favorite songs. But, um, so that, that challenge, I think of trying to figure out how to get a band recognized on a global level is got to be pretty tough. The competition and the shelf space up is, is very limited, but, and trying to get them to, you know, get the band to keep it together. Right. Yeah. Like, hey, man, you know, this is war- this is your life, your career, your this is war- you know, you gotta, yeah, go have fun, raise hell, whatever. But you know, you do have to have some focus on continuing to create and be, you know, produ- productive. That 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 yeah, I've gotten to know a couple bands, and man, they they run they run so hard. <laughs> it's like how can like how how's this good for the longevity of what we're doing here, right? Going hard in the paint oh, seems like yeah. That that answer actually ties perfectly. It's almost like people knew you were going to say that. Uh, this question coming from Pete, you know, you mentioned you enjoy the discovery of artists. You know, you're a fan of the Dangerous Summer. Who are some of those artists and bands that maybe haven't gotten some recognition that you're a fan of man you know there was there's a lot of band like i said we all have um artists in our library in our phone or whatever that we love that just kind of hang right around where they are right in terms of notoriety and celebrity uh, one of the bands was lord huron they were they had they've you know still making music now but they had a couple records where i thought oh man this is this is going to be very popular this and it was i mean they had good recognition but you know they it's Dangerous Summers one. Uh, you know they they've got in in the punk world. Punk they are they're kings. They're 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 very popular in that genre. But outside of that, um, you know it's it's uh, you know it's everybody that I introduce them to likes it. But you know it's um, it, it doesn't really get grow outside of that sort of genre. Uh, so it's just 
it's interesting. But uh, um, I've learned, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's there's a hundred hundred bands. If I looked at my phone right now, I could tell you that that are fitting that fitting that sort of th- deal where they're, you know. I've been, it's been fun discovering them, but I've wondered why they don't sort of get bigger traction. Or it's even fun discovering them, and then they get big, and you kind of yeah. knew them back then. 21 when, Pilots know. would be that. So for my 40th birthday, I'm 49 in October, and for my 40th birthday, we had uh, 21 Pilots come play, mm. and they were popular, but they hadn't, they had, they didn't, they were, they're global now, man. They're selling out arenas all across the world, and we asked them to come play and they're like, yeah, we'll come play. And, um, they were great. They came, um, played a great show, gave maximum effort, hung out afterwards. Like I'm standing at the bar at midnight on, and, and the drummer is, comes up right behind me. He's like, okay, time to have drinks. Let's, you know, let's hang out. You know, they didn't skedaddle right after the show. Right. It's really cool. And, um, so to watch them now, all these years later, continue to be bigger and bigger and, and, Oh, it's it's really cool, you know. Having felt like you, you know, you were on the train early. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we've got time for one more quick one. Uh, you know, you've always been outspoken about being a fan of sushi. Uh, when did that? When did <laughs> when? Um, Mike, you have some opinions on that? <laughs> Seems like that's just funny. I have been an outspoken proponent of sushi. <laughs> um, when <laughs> in my bio, right? <laughs> when did your uh, When did your love for sushi start? Um, my wife. <laughs> So I was, um, I never went to, uh, I never, I was like, raw fish, no way, man. Um, you're going to cook it. I'll eat it. But uh, Amy's like, oh, you got it. It's good. You got to try it. You got to try edamame and, and all the things. And I would get the, you know, the, the, the hibachi, you know, chicken, Mike, you know about this. <laughs> A thing or two. Yeah, man. Mike's cooked some, uh, cooked some sushi and hibachi. Not right? the same. No, not, not sushi. No, no, no. no. You've uh, cooked. I've cooked hibachi. Hibachi. Yeah. It's professional. Hibachi, chef. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 So let's let's recognize that. Respect it. Yeah. Respect, Respect it. Yeah. So, anyways, <laughs> hey, Mike, sort of like a table like this. Um, <laughs> not at all. Maybe that's why this table is so big. Mike actually prefers it. <laughs> he feels uh, at home. Yeah. He feels at home. Feels comfortable. Put that uh, onion volcano right about here. Yeah. Clink 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 <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's good. I'll tell you one thing, man. When you're trying to watch your weight and and you know lose some lose some calories, uh, sushi's a great direction uh, in terms of eating locale food. If you're trying to you know if you're trying to get back into the onesie, uh, as I often have to do uh, to drive the race car, uh, that di- that sushi diet's a pretty decent one to be on. Good deal. That's all. That's all we've got for this week. So, yeah, I'm gonna tell you. There's some uh, interesting questions today. Yeah. <laughs> we were all over the board. And, Andrew, good job. Uh, good job to everybody who sent those in. All right, so that's the show. I hope everybody enjoys it. Tuesday, May the 9th, episode 446, Mike. Um, we got to tell everybody, too, uh, make sure, if you haven't, listen to Action Detrimental and Doorbell Clear. That came out Monday. Obviously, our three episodes of, of the Dell Junior Download this week and Dirty Modo. But also, Dirty Modo will be out on Thursday. Also, Speed Street. Speed Street's got some cool stuff going on this entire month, right? Yes. And so, uh, Connor, 
Obviously, in the Indy 500, that is cranking up in the month of May. There'll be a lot of content coming out with those guys. So um, we get a chance to ask those guys a couple questions. All right. All right, Connor and Joey. So I'll ask Connor. You can ask Joey. I'm going to ask Connor. Connor, and he's going to answer this on, on Speed Street. Okay. All right. I want to know, what's your most embarrassing moment behind the wheel of a race car? Mm. Wow. All right. That's for Connor. Mm-hmm. My question for Joey will be, what's your most embarrassing moment outside of race cars? Which means all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Joey. He's got to have an embarrassing moment. I'm sure he... Maybe a, a routine that bombed or something. Okay. <laughs> well, let's see. We'll let him answer that. Yeah. So, Joey and Connor, we were looking for some embarrassment moments, and uh, I, we'll listen to Speed Street we'll for your answers. We'll see what happens. All yeah. right. All right, y'all. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Robbie Riser on the Dale Jr. Download. Check out Dirty Mode Media. Check out Dirty Mode Media. Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. 